Hi, I'm Mark O'Connell, and you're listening to Far Fetched, a podcast about my largely unpaid but mostly enjoyable career as a writer. Now, most writers I know understand that writing is really a waiting game. Writers spend a whole lot of time waiting to hear back from editors, agents, producers, hoping for good news, hoping that they've got this person's interest, um, but sometimes not knowing is worse than knowing. <laughs> and I've gone through uh, a week or two of not knowing with several projects. So this week I decided this was the week for the nudge. It was time to nudge all these folks I was uh, waiting to hear back from and try to get a response. And there's a real art to doing a nudge, I think. You want to be direct and just simply ask for, you know, some feedback. But you don't want to be obnoxious about it. You don't want to be a pain in the ass. You want to be respectful and polite and, you know, and hopefully you'll get a positive response to your nudge. So I did a lot of nudging this week and it's all been really positive. Well, not all. I got one no. But here's the thing. The no then turned into a maybe. So it's still... A possible yes. <laughs> so I'm happy with that. Uh, and the other nudges have been uh, pretty successful. One of the best uh, results of the week was that I heard back from my agent saying that a new book proposal that I'm preparing, uh, she thinks is about 90% there, which is very good news. So I can, I can take care of that final 10% in a day or two, and we'll be ready to go with this book proposal. So that was fun and exciting and great to hear. But that's not why we're here today. We're here to listen to two more dramatic Star Trek adventures from the record album called Star Trek. Uh, if you listened to the last episode of Farfetch, then you're familiar with this. My daughter was at a rummage sale or a consignment, consignment sale and found this old vinyl LP of children's Star Trek adventures, children's audio Star Trek adventures. And uh, I played the last, the, uh, sorry, I played the first two episodes in the last episode of Farfetched. And in this episode, we're going to listen to the flip side, side two of Star Trek Dinosaur Planet and The Human Factor. So let's not waste any time. Let's get right into Dinosaur Planet, and then we will discuss it afterwards. These are the new voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. The Starship Enterprise, pride of the Federation of Planets' sleek fleet, streaks across the galaxy on its latest adventure. The huge vessel, home for over 400 explorers and scientists, is nearing its destination after many days in the endless reaches of black space. Their assignment, investigate the mysterious far-off region called the Oblix Solar System. Third planet of Oblix System coming into range, Captain Kirk. Thank you, First Officer Spock. Helmsman, check off. Please give me visual contact. Yes, Captain. 
The sight seen by the crew on their view screen is a wondrous one. Spinning slowly before them is a vast rocky planet, scarred a dark red by huge volcanoes that hurl great chunks of colorful lava into the air. The very surface seems to boil with liquid anger. A raw, violent planet. Spock, what does your computer say about this unexplored world? Allow me to check the readout, Captain. Its sun is a yellow dwarf, much like Earth's own. Its atmosphere is thin, but breathable and capable of sustaining food and life forms. Is there anything remotely human there now? On this nearly formed planet? Hardly, Captain. Given its similarity to Earth, I would say life forms would not develop for, oh, approximately 124,426,682.34 years yet. That's the approximate figure, Mr. Spock? Approximately, yes. Would you like me to compute the exact figure? Uh, no, thank you, Mr. Spock. The approximate figure will do just fine. Well, since there's nothing to find on the third planet, I think it should be safe to move on to the sec... Wait a moment, Captain. The computer is sounding a warning. Why, this is incredible. Absolutely fascinating. I could scarcely credit... Ensign Solo, please turn off the alarm. Spock, what is it? Unbelievable as this may seem, Captain. My sensors show that on the far side of this planet, there lives intelligent life. On that ball of fire and ash? Impossible. As impossible as it seems, Mr. Chekhov. My equipment says that it is true. On the other side of this earthquake and volcano-wracked world, there live creatures as complex as you or I. And if that is true, their lives are in deadly danger. No human could survive on this primitive planet for more than a day. Mr. Chekhov, contact Chief Engineer Scott, Medical Officer McCoy, and Security Officers Tanker and Wadsworth immediately. Have them meet Mr. Spock, Mr. Zulu, and myself in the transporter room. There is no second to lose. We're beaming down to that planet. The intrepid Captain Kirk, his half-human, half-Vulcan science officer, Mr. Spock, and their cantankerous colleague, Dr. Bones McCoy, quickly decided to find the advanced life forms and bring them up to the ship. Joining them on the dangerous mission was the Enterprise's resident history buff, Mr. Sulu, and two tough, muscular security men. Remember the location I gave you, Scotty. As soon as you hear my signal on that communicator, use the transporter to beam us back up. Got it? Aye, Captain. Everyone ready? Mr. Sulu? Yes, Captain. Wadsworth? Tanker? Ready. All set. Mr. Spock. I am in position and prepared, Captain. Bones. I don't see why we have to check out this flaming world in the first place. It's as barren as a burned-up cornfield. I take it that means you're ready, Doctor. All right, Scotty. Beam us down. Energize. I told you, there's nothing here but red-hot lava and burned-out craters. I think all the heat warped your machine sensors, Spock. Anyone with half a brain can see there's no life here. My machine, as you call it, Doctor, is far more exact than your instincts. And thankfully, it uses more of its brain than you do. Now, take it easy, you two. If the ship's computers say that there's life on this planet, I believe it. They've never been wrong before. It's incredible, Captain. This planet is almost an exact replica of Earth during its prehistoric Cretaceous period. Cretaceous? A time of Earth's history when dinosaurs ruled the planet, Captain. More than 130 million years from the year 2000 using pre-stardate time. Incredible. Incredible maybe, Captain, but I don't like the looks of this place. Other than those foaming, fire-spitting mountains, it seems empty. But I could have sworn I saw some shadows moving near those clouds up there. Spock? According to my portable tricorder, Captain, there is no intelligent life in the nearby area. There, what did I tell you? There's nothing worth seeing here. Spock's dang, blared, flaming computer was all wrong. Look out! 
Just as the hearty security man shouted his warning, a horrible winged monster screamed out of the sky. It was as big as a baseball field with wings that filled the sky. Its large burning red eyes stared right through them, and its sharp pointed beak snapped open and closed like two sharp swords. Tiny wicked claws on both wings quivered with bloodthirsty want. One moment it soared across the sky, the next it blocked out the sun, moving in a brutal dive and heading right for them. Get behind this one. said anyone with half a brain could see that there's no life here. Isn't that correct? Uh, that's enough, you two. Is everyone all right? Captain, Captain, that was a pterodactyl. A pterodactyl? What all? A pterodactyl, a prehistoric bird. I wish it were a prehistoric pussycat, because here it comes again. Everyone get your laser weapons. Put it to stun power. Fire at will. There seems to be a protective layering of skin that neutralizes our faces, Captain. Intensify your weapons to their greatest strength. Fire! Still nothing! The beams flash right off! We're as good as dead! Although I do not entirely agree with Mr. Wadsworth's hysterical reaction, Captain, I think it would be wise to find a more secure location for defense. What Spock is trying to say, Jim, is that we had better hide someplace and quick. Crudely translated, Doctor, but roughly adequate, yes. Especially since the pterodactyl seems to be engaging the help of some friends. Captain Kirk looked up to see four more monstrous winged creatures joining its ugly brother. Soon the entire sky was filled with screaming, flapping, bloodthirsty beasts. Quickly, everyone, head for that cave over there. It's our only chance. Keep firing as you retreat. Wadsworth, look where you're going. There's a rock in your path. Wadsworth, don't stop, Jim. Keep running. You'll be killed. Wadsworth is stunned, Bones. I can't leave him there. Wadsworth, are you all right? Being strange. Uzi. Come on, put your arm around my neck. There. Now, come on, man. Move it, or we'll be dinosaur meat. Everyone make it? Is everyone all right? Pterodactyls. A whole fleet of pterodactyls. Unreal. I do believe we have all arrived in one piece, Captain. Our primary concern at this point should be, where do we go from here? A point well taken, Spock. Any suggestions, everyone? I say Scotty should beam us up immediately. I think you should get Scotty to kill those birds with photon torpedoes from the Enterprise. Hey, that's not like you, Wadsworth. You just can't kill living creatures on a whim. It would be criminal. I tend to agree with Ensign Sulu, Captain. Mr. Wadsworth seems to be talking from emotional shock brought on by his previous accident. Please watch the security officer closely, Dr. McCoy. You don't have to tell me, you pointy-eared varmint. I can see he's almost hysterical. All right, now just take it easy, all of you. To set the record straight, I agree with Spock and Sulu. We must search further. And since we can't go back out, we'll find another way by following the trail of golden liquid that flows by our feet. My gosh, the captain's right. Look at that golden river here. Why, it goes all the way down into the cavern. The curious crew members begin to follow the stream, which brings them deeper and deeper into the interior of the gas-spouting mountain. Finally, they emerge in a huge cavern as big as a stadium. But what they find there is the most incredible thing of all. Gems. The entire wall is made up of rare gems. Is he right, Spock? Is this cave really made up of rare jewels? According to my tricorder, yes. All around us are solid slabs of ruby, diamond, and emerald. I'm rich. I mean, we're rich. Who would have thought such a savage planet would hold such riches? Captain Kirk, you must destroy the monsters out there and claim this wealth in the name of the Federation. Easy there, Wadsworth. I agree, Mr. Tanker. May I remind you, Mr. Wadsworth, 
that the first article of our Federation creed is to respect the rights of all intelligent life forms. Well, those creatures are just mindless monsters. Mr. Wadsworth, Mr. Spock has said that there is intelligent life on this planet, and before I kill or claim anything, I intend to find it. Just as Captain Kirk turns to follow the Golden River, a new and awful danger appears. Across the cavern, at the mouth of another cave, a long line of massive monsters appear. These new creatures walk on two gigantic legs as big as tree trunks. Their heads are as big as huge boulders, and their teeth are as big and sharp as axes. Tyrannosaurus Rex, the king of the dinosaurs, the most ferocious and powerful flesh-eating creature Earth has ever known. Holy jumping Jehoshaphat, I knew I should have stayed on the ship. Now will you do it, Captain? Now will you take my suggestion and kill these awful monsters? The brave commander of the Enterprise thought furiously as he watched the immense Tyrannosauruses line the opposite wall of the cave, roaring their angry displeasure. Should he kill the majestic beasts, as his security man suggested, and mine the rich wealth of the world, or should he risk their own lives on a desperate hunch? We can't wait any longer. We must... Wait a minute, Captain. Mr. Sulu, you are familiar with the Earth version of this mighty dinosaur? This is no time for a history lesson, Spock. We're in danger of our lives. All in good time, Doctor. Mr. Sulu, answer the question. Yes. Those earthly creatures had short arms and small brains, did they not? Yes, they did, Mr. Spock. Not at all like these animals. Why, these creatures have long arms, almost human-shaped, with three-jointed claws. And their skulls, their skulls are much bigger than the prehistoric Earth Tyrannosaurus. Captain, I submit that these monsters are not monsters at all, but the intelligent life my sensors picked up. That's ridiculous, Spock, even for you. The next thing you'll be telling me is that this golden river we've been following is made of liquid gold. It is. What is that? It feels like it's coming from inside my head. It is Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise. Both your first officer and medical officer are correct. We, the Tyrannosaurus Rex, are the leading life form on this planet. Up until now, we thought you were pirates trying to steal our riches and molten gold. But when your Mr. Spock correctly guessed our secret, we knew you had come in peace. Scientific logic, if you please. No guesswork. I also reason that you are masters of mental communication. Yes, Mr. Spock, we speak without speaking, transferring our words directly to your brains. It has been many eons since any other creature understood us. We naturally attack without first trying to communicate. Now that we know you are equal to us, we can make peace between our two kinds. Oh, no, you don't. Talking dinosaurs, rivers of gold, you can't fool me, you lousy monsters. You just want to kill us all and save all these jewels for yourself. Well, I won't let you, you hear? I won't let you. Take this, you lousy murdering monsters. No. You will disequalize the organic interior of the cavern. The entire mountain will be destroyed. Scotty, beam us up. There's not enough time, Doctor. Our only hope are the dinosaurs. Tanker, you go on ahead. Clear away for us to the front of the cave. I'll carry Wadsworth on my back. King Dinosaurs, can you... Will you help us? Yes. Do not attempt to escape on foot. You will never make it. Quickly, mount us. Sit upon our backs. We will run you to freedom. Just as enormous hunks of glittering gems crash down all around them, the Enterprise crew scramble onto their new scaly allies. Jim, hurry! The Tyrannosaurus's tremendous legs propel the group through the caverns with blinding speed. Their immense weight shakes the mountain as if it were gripped by the power of a hundred earthquakes. Finally, just as the entire mountainside collapses inward with a numbing thunder, the crew reaches daylight. We made it! We're alive!
Well, another solar system explored and another inhabited planet signed up as a member of the Federation. I would say it was a job well done, wouldn't you, Bones? No thanks to Spock's blasted instruments. If they had pinpointed the intelligent dinosaurs on the planet in the first place, we wouldn't have been in such trouble. But anyone with half a brain would have known there was no intelligent life there. Is that not so, Doctor? Well, <clears throat> I think I have some work to do in the sick bay, if you'll excuse me. Ah, going to work on the other half of your brain, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Well, wow, Dinosaur Planet starts out a little slow, but it sure builds up to a slam-bang conclusion, I have to say. Here are a couple of my notes on this episode. First of all, what the hell is up with Spock? I mean, he, he's not just being logical, a logical pain in the ass. He's being downright abusive. He's taking swipes at everybody on that away team. I don't know what Spock's problem is in this story, especially the last line. Oh, to work on the other half of your brain, Doctor? <laughs> wow, Spock is just being a dick in this story. Also, Captain Kirk. Did Captain Kirk uh, not show up uh, the day they taught uh, Federation kids about dinosaurs? How come Captain Kirk doesn't seem to know anything about dinosaurs, like even what they are? I find that truly bizarre. My favorite part of the episode is when one of the characters calls Spock you pointy-eared varmint. That's, that's one for the history books. You pointy-eared varmint. I love it. Also, how did James Cagney get aboard this landing party? How, how come we've got, suddenly we got this guy talking to the dinosaurs like, yeah, I'm going to kill you, dinosaurs, see? Yeah, yeah, you dirty rats. What the fuck? That's James Cagney. Why is he in Star Trek? I don't get it. Finally... Two things that I really did like. I love the dinosaur voice. That was, that was well done. It's probably done by the same guy who's doing all the other people's voices. So yeah, the dinosaur's voice and then the image of the uh, Star Trek crew riding the dinosaurs to get to safety from the molten lava. Oh, I almost forgot, <laughs> forgot to mention Sulu. Sulu finally gets a speaking part and what the hell is going on with his voice? Is that an accent or what? I could not figure out what was happening with Sulu's voice throughout that Star Trek adventure. Very bizarre. Okay, I've said enough. We're going to move on now to the human factor. Stardate 96.024. It's been an exhausting but rewarding time for the Starship Enterprise. Meeting intelligent dinosaurs, fighting a super criminal, and defeating the Romulans has thrilled each and every one of us. But it has tired us out, too. So it is now a pleasure to comply with Starfleet Command's order to bring a new member of the Federation back to their home in the Gar system while giving them a tour of our mighty ship. The ambassadors from the planet Garus seem harmless enough. Their childlike size and innocent faces have charmed almost everyone. But sometimes they seem just a little too harmless. Come in. Oh, excuse me, Captain Kirk. Hello, Gardas. Come in, come in. I did not know you were busy. I'm sorry. That's quite all right. I always have time for Gardas' leading ambassador. We're part of the same brotherhood now. I could come back. No, really, it's all right. What can I do for you? Well, if you are absolutely sure I am not interrupting anything... Really, Mr. Ambassador, it's no trouble. I'm at your service. Thank you, Captain Kirk. 
It is just that your fine Dr. McCoy has shown us the sick bay. Your fine Mr. Spock has shown us all your quarters and recreation areas. Your fine Mr. Scott has shown us the engine and the engineering room. Your fine Mr. Sulu has shown us your laboratories. And your fine Mr. Chekhov has shown us the transporter room. Excuse me, Mr. Ambassador. I'm not sure I understand. What is the problem? What have we done? It is you who must excuse me, Captain Kirk. I apologize for any and all confusion, but it is not what you have done that troubles us. It is what you have not done. I apologize for any oversight, Mr. Ambassador. Please tell me what we have missed so I may correct the situation. Thank you, Captain. Uh, we have seen and enjoyed all of your magnificent ship, except the computer. We find that these machine brains are most fascinating. We would be thrilled and honored to see your advanced one. Well, that's all there is to it. I don't see why not. I shall arrange for you to see our computer right away. I would show it to you myself, but I have to plan our orbit around your planet. We will be arriving there quite soon. Quite all right, Captain. We understand and gravely apologize for the trouble we may have caused. We have noticed your lovely Lieutenant Uhura often in the game room. She does not seem too busy. Could uh, she show us your computer? That's a very good idea, Mr. Ambassador. Lieutenant Uhura is not too involved with the approach of your planet, and I'm sure she would be delighted to show you around. Excellent. Captain Kirk, this is Mr. Spock. Please report to the bridge, sir. The planet Garus has just come into range. Captain Kirk, please report to the bridge. Oh, no. Does that mean we cannot see the computer? Don't worry, Mr. Ambassador. I'll have Lieutenant Uhura show it to you right away. I'll be right there, Mr. Spock. Oh, and Mr. Spock, please have Lieutenant Uhura report to the Garishan Ambassador's quarters immediately. There it is, Captain. The planet Garus. A large, lush planet with an almost equal amount of water space and land space. The Garusians will never run out of room or oceans. It's beautiful. That it is, Mr. Chekhov, that it is. Especially since it means we can get the ambassadors off our hands, finally. No, Captain, is there any way to talk about new members of the Federation? Now, Scotty, normally I would agree with you, but didn't you find the Garusians just a little hard to deal with? I don't know what you mean, sir. I know I did, Captain. Every time you talk to them, you find yourself either apologizing or forgiving them. Yes, Mr. Sulu. I, too, noticed how they made you humans feel guilty even when it was they who were begging forgiveness. Well, I don't know about any of you, but all I know is when I showed them my lovely engines, they couldn't stop complimenting her or the ship. It's good to have Federation members who finally know and love good engineers. <laughs> <laughs> well, no wonder you like them, Mr. Scott. What the devil? Spock, where's that alarm coming from? The shuttlecraft hangar, Captain, in the rear of the ship. Tanker, Security Officer Tanker, report. Come in, Security Officer Tanker. Tanker here, Captain. What the thunder is going on, Frank? Oh, the shuttle, Captain. It's gone. Gone? What do you mean, gone, Mon? Gone, Mr. Scott. Disappeared, taken off. It, it's not here anymore, and the Garrus ambassadors are gone with it. What? Are you sure? Sure, I'm sure, Captain. My men have searched every single deck. We've gone into every single nook and cranny. They aren't here. By all the stars in... Uhura! Tanker! Is Lieutenant Uhura there? She's... she's gone, too. Jim, you can't do this. You'd be walking into a trap. You could be killed. Bones, it is the only way. The Garushans are official members of the Federation now. We just can't go attacking them. The Articles of the Federation forbid it. We don't know exactly what happened. Maybe they were all kidnapped by a saboteur or a stowaway. Sabotage or stowaway my foot. Uhura was abducted by those aliens, and now you and just a small landing party are going down to investigate. It's foolish, Jim. It could be a suicide mission. Now, easy does it, Doctor. I'll have Mr. Spock and Ensign Sulu and Chekhov with me. Mr. Scott will be here, ready to beam us up at any moment. And Mr. Tanker will be waiting with an entire squad of security officers in case we need help. So don't worry, Bones. We're ready, Captain. Very good, Spock. Chekhov, Sulu, take your places in the transporter room. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, be careful, Jim, and good luck. Thanks, Bones. See you soon. All right, Scotty, energize. 
Captain Kirk and his men appeared directly in the center of Gara's capital city. Standing before them was Garmin, the president of the planet. He had been waiting for them since the Enterprise first went into orbit above the world. Welcome to Garus, my Federation brothers. Welcome to the capital city of Garton and its famous mile-long Hall of Worship. Thank you, Mr. President. I hope our work here will be as quick and harmless as possible. I, too, hope your mission meets with the best possible success, my friends. Please, follow me into the mile-long Hall of Worship where we can talk. Would you look at this place, Chekhov? It's so big, so rich. I can hardly believe my eyes. Yes, sir. It is incredible. It is even greater than the palace we have in Russia. Gentlemen, may I remind you as to our mission here? Better keep an eye out for Uhura rather than this overabundant wealth. As you can see, Captain Kirk, we have nothing to hide here on Garus. Our riches, our wealth, our land, it is all here for Federation use. It is simply a matter of trade. You give us something, and we give you much more. We are not here for riches or real estate, Garmin. We are here to find our lieutenant who has disappeared with your ambassador, Gartis. They have taken an Enterprise shuttlecraft with them, and we mean to find it. Please, 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 Captain Kirk, do not trouble yourself. I am sure it is all just a great mistake. I am sure Gartis and your Uhura are all right. They will turn up, I am sure of it. Please, accept my apologies for any trouble, and come join me in the Hall of Worship main room. Why, this is incredible. In all the worlds we've visited, this is the most beautiful mansion I've ever seen. Yes, it is. It is breathtaking. Control your emotional outbursts, Ensigns. Be on your guard. The greed in your hearts may overcome the common sense in your brains. Please, Mr. Spock, the room is here to enjoy. That is why it was built. Feel free to enjoy it, my friends. It is just a small token of our belief and worship to our almighty master. Enough of the tour, Garmin, and enough of this talk of your master. Now I know the truth about you and your hall of worship. I know that you have our lieutenant here, and I want her back now. Captain Kirk, how, how did you know? How did you find out? You apologized just a while ago, saying that you were sure Goddess and Uhura would show up. But I never told you our lieutenant's name. How did you know her name was Uhura, if you don't know where she is? You are very clever, Captain Kirk, but it is too late. Your Uhura is with the master now. You will never get her back. We'll see about that, Mr. President. As members of the Federation, you are now ruled under our laws. You'll see how the Federation punishes thieves and kidnappers. Scotty, beam down the security. Fellow Garushians, stop them! Capture them! Captain, look out! Suddenly, from every direction, dozens of little Garushians come running. Without a word, they brutally attack the Enterprise crew. Leaping up into the air with incredible strength, they kick Sulu and Chekhov into unconsciousness. One quick kick knocks the communicators from the captains and Spock's hands. Kirk and his science officer are now helpless and completely alone. Quick, Spock, this way. After them. Don't let them get away. Spock, are you all right? Yes, Captain, I think so. How long can we hide? Given the size of this mile-long hall of worship, it is quite possible that we can remain hidden until Mr. Tanka sends down a search party. But by then, it might be too late for our ensigns. Yes, and Garmin said something about Uhura being with the Master. What do you think that means? I cannot be sure, Captain, but I can give you odds. It is not very good. I agree, Mr. Spock. We had better do something, and fast. Come this way, Captain. I think I see a way out. That door. But this door is six feet of solid steel closed with a combination lock. How can we open it without phasers? Captain, please. The Vulcan race is known for more than our mind locks and nerve pinches. When my race is faced with a problem, we pride ourselves on solving it. You mean you are going to pick the lock? A crude way of putting it, Captain. I prefer the idea that I'm going to discover the necessary secret to unlock the door. Whatever you say, Mr. Spock, get going. 
Just a little more. A turn to the right. I can hear the tumblers. And a little pressure to the left. There. Quick, inside, Spock. I hear someone coming. Help me close the door, Captain. It is very heavy. Mr. Spock, this isn't a way out. It's an entrance. Yes, Captain, and to the greatest array of scientific equipment I have ever seen. There are rows and rows of incredibly complex computers, and the entire wall is covered with sensors and view screens showing every corner of the Garden City. Spock, look at that view screen there. Isn't that Ambassador Gartis? Yes, Captain, it is. But what is he doing in that ceremonial robe? It looks like a religious ceremony of some kind. It is. It must be. And look behind him. Why, that is our ensigns and Lieutenant Uhura. Spock, find a way to get sound with that picture. And hurry. There it is. Look, there's Chekhov and Sulu. And so it is that we give these three people to the Garus Master. Their very souls will be locked with his for eternity. An eternity of good, of warmth, of never-ending happiness. For joining with the Master to make our planet a better place is the greatest award Earthlings can receive. I'd like to give you something else, you rotten bunch of kidnappers. Just let me go for one second and you'll see what we Earthlings are really capable of. Silence. You two men shall be trained in the ways of the Master. Then you two will be sacrificed to it. But the woman, Uhura, has already proven her worth. Take her away and give her to the Master. No, let me go. No, you can't. You mustn't. Help me. Help. Uhura, it's too late, Chekhov. She's gone. Where they are taking her now, or what they are doing to her. You lousy killers, what will you do with her? You shall find out only too soon, my human friends. Soon it will be your turn to join the master. But for now, you must be prepared. Philogorusians, take them away. Not so fast, Gartus. Captain Kirk, how did you find us? Your own computer showed us the way, Gartus. All Mr. Spock had to do was to ask it for directions, and like a good machine, it gave them to us. All we had to do is discover your program, and just like a robot, we could control it. Well, now that you have discovered us, you shall never escape. Telegorusians! Do not be so hasty, Mr. Ambassador. I also took the liberty of switching a few wires around. If you try to take us prisoner as well, I will be forced to make the computer explode. No, you cannot. You must not. It is the Master. If you destroy the Master, the entire planet will be at your mercy. I thought so. From the moment I saw that gigantic computer, I knew you were worshipping it as a god. But I never imagined you would actually sacrifice people to it like savages. But we do not, Captain Kirk. We we just train smart people to run it for us. The last of our high priests has just passed on, and our religion forbids our touching the master. We had to find non-worshippers to work the gigantic deity, or our entire society would collapse. Goddess, Garmin, you fools. Why didn't you just ask us? As members of the Federation, we would have been happy to supply you with programmers and brilliant computer men. Do you not understand, Captain Kirk? The master is our god. It is forbidden by our creed to speak of him to any but those of the Garus race. Even now we are committing almost unspeakable heresy and sacrilege. If the rest of our people ever found out, why, they might tear us apart. I see. A rather difficult problem. But one I think we can solve. Mr. President, Mr. Ambassador, if you will kindly return our captured crew members, I think the Federation can take care of all your problems. With pleasure, Captain Kirk. So they were just trying to find computer workers, Jim. That's right, Bones. They wanted to ask us, but the rules of their religion forbade them. So they thought they had to abduct who they needed. After Uhura originally showed how much she knew about our own computer, they thought she would be perfect. What happens now? Well, Doctor, the Federation Science Base Gamma 3 is even now setting up a satellite which will relay peaceful programming from Starfleet Central Computer. 
With this new information, I feel certain Garus faces a long and comfortable existence. Well, how long before the satellite work is finished? I'm not sure, Bones. Lieutenant Uhura, would you like to check the computer to find out? Um, if you don't mind, Captain, I think I've had just about enough computer work for one day. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right, Lieutenant. What could I be thinking of? Man your stations, everyone. Let's go home. <laughs> Wow, so the aliens were actually just looking to hire some IT professionals. The mind, <laughs> the mind boggles. And it was all a big misunderstanding. They should have gone to Indeed or LinkedIn or something. I don't know, man. That was kind of a silly story. I can't really say I get into it that much. Once again, I was completely baffled by Chekhov's and Sulu's accents. I don't know where the hell they came from. Bummer, though, at the beginning of the story, I thought they were setting it up to be a story about Lieutenant Uhura, the communications officer from the Enterprise. I thought that would have been neat since Nichelle Nichols, the actress who played Uhura, uh, recently passed away. thought it would be maybe a nice memorial to her, but no, she's actually a no-show through most of the episode. And instead of being like a hero, she ends up being a victim and needing to be rescued by the men. Although in the end, she did get to say the funny tagline at the end of the episode. So I guess that makes up for things. Funny little tidbit, though, as I was putting the record back into its sleeve, a little piece of paper fell out. I hadn't seen this. This is like a three or three by four piece of paper with the Star Trek logo on it with a big announcement that says Peter Pan Records Special Offer, and then a cool little drawing of the Starship Enterprise NCC-1701 and a Klingon, um, Klingon destroyer. And these are both representations of Dinky Toys. Dinky was a toy company that made little uh, toy cars, for the most part, about the size of matchboxes and Hot Wheels. It was a British company. And for some reason, Dinky got the license to create little Star Trek toys. So they made these little nine-inch-long Enterprises and Klingon ships. And both of them, this was a neat little feature, both of them shot little plastic discs <laughs> out of the front of them, which has absolutely nothing to do with the show. But So this card says, The Enterprise and Klingon Starships from the famous Star Trek series. Both models are die-cast metal and plastic. Each product is nine inches long and offers endless hours of play. So I'm looking at this and thinking, oh, neat advertising tie-in. But then I look on the back side of this card, and it's actually kind of a postcard. And it says, please send me blank Enterprise at $10 each and blank Klingon at $10 each. I understand that I will automatically become a member of the Dinky Club of America when I make the purchase. Please enclose check or money order when purchasing. All purchases will be sent to you postpaid. Send to AVA International, Hewitt, Texas. Or there's another choice you can X off. Gentlemen, I do not wish to order at this time, but I would like to become a member of the Dinky Club of America for just $1. I understand that as a member, I will receive exciting privileges, including the newspaper Dinky Dispatch, a colorful Dinky sticker, information on new products and other special items available only to me as a member 
of Dinky Club of America. Then you fill in your name and address, and it asks you how many dinky toys you own, and it asks you what your favorite dinky toy is, and then it gives you a place to sign the form to make it all official. I think that's actually very charming, and I'm glad I discovered that. Anyway, you've been listening to Farfetched. I hope you enjoyed these dramatic presentations. I know I certainly did. In the next episode of Farfetched, I'll get back to reading my unsold Star Trek The Next Generation pitches. Until then, this has been Farfetched. Thanks for listening. <laughs>